in the United States among heterosexual women ages 15 to 49, approximately one-fifth or 19% of women with no prior births have difficulty getting pregnant after one year of trying. Also, approximately one in four or 26% of women in this group have difficulty getting pregnant and carrying a baby to term. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Erica Hoke is the infertile mother of four boys, a wife, and a best-selling author after struggling for years with undiagnosed endometriosis. Uterine fibroids pose thyroid disease, factor V Leiden, and MTHFR. Unable to participate in traditional IUI or IVF methods, she was able to get to the bottom of her infertility issues. With continual changes to both her lifestyle and diet. And now she's fiercely committed to sharing her story and the stories of others as a means of hope to those who are still on the path of attempting to create the family of their dreams. And Hope, join me this week to tell me more. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this. Conversation. take a moment to welcome you to the program, and I'm uh, delighted to be with you this morning to learn all about your your journey with infertility. Great to be with you this morning, and thank you so very much for being here. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, you're welcome, and I'm fascinated to begin our conversation by you just giving me sort of a 360-degree view of your story, because I know uh, that you have uh, four boys, and I know it's been an interesting uh, journey getting to where you are today, so I'm wondering if you can tell me all about it. Yeah, well, that was the spoiler alert, right? So I go by the handle uh, Infertile Mom of Four, and that's confusing to some people, but um, the beginning of my story is a lot of dis-ease in my body, a lot of illness. I, I had um, quite a few reproductive uh, diagnoses. One of them took me almost uh, 12 years to, to get diagnosed with endometriosis. So when it came to um, trying to get pregnant, I knew that I might have a struggle, right? I had had a whole handful of diagnoses, seven to be exact. And uh my backup plan was always IVF. Well, I've got all these diagnoses, but 
you know, if we have to, if push comes to shove, we'll go the IVF route, everything will be fine, right? We'll, we'll get it done that way. And I went to see the IVF doctor and, um, and was told not only that I was not a candidate for IVF, but in his opinion that I would need donor eggs. I was 35 at the time. And it just kind of crashed my whole, my whole world, my whole plan, right? Because up until this point, that was always my plan B, my backup plan. So I had to, I had to take a minute. It was a really hard time because I thought, what am I going to do with this information? You know, am I going to accept this information? Am I going to proceed with this information? And what I decided to do was find out why my body was in so much disruption with all these different diagnoses. Now I've got at 35 diminished ovarian reserve, um, being told that I'm going to need donor eggs, can't do IVF, physically can't do IVF. Um, what am I, what am I going to do to see if I can go a different route? And I looked into what causes these problems, the endometriosis, the fibroids, all the other things that I was experiencing and what I could do to support my body. And if I could, if I could reverse it, basically, if I could turn that around. And what I found is um, everything affects your fertility. And I went to a traditional Chinese medicine doctor of acupuncture, did acupuncture, Chinese herbs. Um, I would have told you at the time that I was eating really well, meaning I had a lot of salads and um, didn't eat too much fast food, you know, that sort of thing. But it still was basically a standard American diet. And I really needed to overhaul and clean that up and um, switch out my proteins for organic to get all those hormones out of my system that were interfering with my own hormones, my own reproductive hormones. So that led to my first pregnancy. Um, making those changes led to that first pregnancy. And then um, lo and behold, uh, 18 months later, we got pregnant uh, with twins. Um, and that was after being fired by the fertility doctor um, because they said that there was absolutely nothing that they could do to help us. Um, so our, uh, our final son was born. There was a set of twins that I lost in between my, my live living twins. We lost a set of twins two years later. And then my last son was born at um, 43. And that was seven years after I was told that I had uh, less than a 1% chance of conceiving and that I would need donor eggs. Eric, I'm curious listening to you. As to your uh, definition of the word perseverance, you know, and overcoming obstacles, and what does that mean to you? And secondarily, I'm also curious to uh, get you to comment on sort of the emotional journey you went through as well. Yeah. So perseverance means uh, to me that you're going to stay the course, regardless, you use the word obstacles, regardless of the obstacles that you're in your way. Um, I was determined to persevere and, um, and eliminate any possibility of anything that was in my control. That's what I do with my program too, is I I help um, coach women who are in similar situations, basically check all those boxes of, 
maybe things that they don't think or wouldn't think or have been told, because uh, that's frequently a problem, right? We're told that uh, coffee doesn't, you know, affect your fertility or alcohol doesn't affect your fertility. Well, it might not affect everybody's fertility, but you can't get pregnant right now. So let's look at the reasons behind these things that could be affecting your gut health, which affects your hormone health. So I'm bringing this back to the perseverance of focusing on your goal and not what somebody tells you, um, one, that you can't do, or two, things that don't matter, right? Um, just because a doctor tells you that they can't help you get pregnant doesn't mean that you can't get pregnant. It just means that they can't help you, right? Um, and so just having that laser focus of eliminating any obstacles in your path, that's that's my definition of perseverance. Yeah, well, um, anybody that has spent any time going through an infertility journey knows that it's um, it's a cycle of death every month, right? So you have this buildup of hope, Um that maybe this is going to be your month and it's a 30 day cycle of death, grieving, rinse and repeat. And that's very emotionally exhausting. It was very emotionally exhausting for me and my spouse. Um, it's really hard when you're, um, you know, I'll see on, um, on some forums and, you know, Facebook groups and things like that where, like myself, I, I was having chemical pregnancies all along because of a, another condition that I have called factor five Leiden, where um, the embryo uh, can't implant, the roots uh, die off uh, because of blood clots um, before implantation, therefore you never get a positive pregnancy test. So I was having these chemical pregnancies um, all along the way. So I never knew if I could ever get a positive pregnancy test. And there's so many women out there in that same situation where uh nobody wants to have a miscarriage but my goodness like it would just be nice to know can we get pregnant because until you get pregnant you don't know if you can get pregnant um so it's that it's it's very emotionally taxing and then you have people who um you know in their best uh heart of hearts are trying to be helpful but say the worst things ever to, you know, uh, I'm sure you've experienced this in your, in your journey, in your life too. Um, and uh, it's just really hard to cope with um, uh, the intrusiveness of people's questions or people's misguided attempts to provide hope in your situation. Um, so it's a lot, you know, uh, we talk a lot about boundaries and how to have good boundaries, not um, in a mean way, but in a protective way and scripting and things like that, that people can help themselves ahead of time to prepare for those. We're coming up to the holidays. I don't know when this will air, but you know, when you're going through any, any gathering, any social gathering um, where you have been, um, where there's an expectation that you might be pregnant, then you get a lot of you got a lot of intrusive questions. In my situation, I was working in an outside sales job and I had just gotten married. And so everyone wanted to ask me when the baby was coming, um, which was awful because I had to repeat myself sometimes multiple times a day and hold back tears. And maybe I had gotten my, my period that day and it was, it was a lot. So, um, that's kind of what my emotional journey went, uh, looked like. Um, as we were going through, you know, 
these different processes and this healing of my body. Yeah, well, Erica, I always say that everyone's portrait of success is different and the only uh, level of expectation you have to meet is your own. Isn't that the truth? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm curious to ask you, Erica, I'm curious to know your message to women about the importance of sort of valuing their health and how important uh, uh, that that truly is. Yeah, well, the first thing that I, uh, I tell my clients is that no one is going to care about this more than you do. So um, there's, as I touched on before, there's a lot of dismissing of um, this doesn't matter, that doesn't matter um, from the reproductive endocrinology world. But they're also not providing any support for the most part, not that I've seen at least in terms of um, dietary, you know, guidelines, nutrition and things like that. Yes, thank you. So the message is be empowered, be empowered, take control. Um, so many times I will see a client who is insistent that they've had every test done, that it's all negative, that they're good um, because a doctor has told them that right? But there's things that are missed along the way. So women really have to know that if they want to have the outcome that they desire, they, they're going to have to take ownership of it, right? They're going to have to take ownership of what they're putting in and on their body. They're going to have to be empowered in their testing and kind of keep track and make sure that, you know, check those boxes that those tests have been performed. Nobody's going to do that for you. They have to advocate for themselves. So the core of my my program is um, empower um, and heal, um, <laughs> um, em empower and heal, um, and uh, you know it's it's important to um, learn to advocate for yourself. So that's my message to women: advocating for themselves. Um, and I'm not anti-medicine in any way, shape, or form. My journey also included many surgeries. Um, you know, I wouldn't be here without the help of some really skilled surgeons. Um, but it's important for people to take advantage of of um, of their um, own health. Yeah, take absolutely. control of their own health. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's I always say that we're the authors of our own destiny, right? So it, yeah. it's important to do that, right? So yeah. speaking about being an author, I know that you're a best-selling author. So congratulations on that. And tell me about the book that you wrote that uh, sort of details what we're talking about this morning. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Um, it was about this time last year, so we're coming up our on our one, first year birthday of our, our, our book baby, right? So myself and uh, 20 other uh, authors wrote a chapter and it's part uh, telling our story, which different from what you can read in a Facebook post or something like that, we wanted to tell it from the standpoint of, here's my story, but here's what I wish I had known at this point. So each of the chapters is peppered with tips where we went back and we said, man, this is what was going on with me, but hey, this is what I wish I had known here instead of two years from now or six months from now or whatever. So it's it's part cautionary tale, part love letter. We provide um, 
at the end of each chapter, there's a QR code where if you really resonate with that author's story that you can scan that code and connect with them. There's resources in there. Um, and so it's just a variety of stories. Some of them are um, things that they did in terms of natural uh, fertility support. Some of them are egg donors. It's just a whole variety of women's stories. But um, we all said that if we um, could only just, if we wrote it just for one person, if it helped one person, that we would do the whole project all over again. It really was um, a passion for each and every one of us that contributed to the um, to the project. And I'm sure there were some inspiring stories that you learned from along the way. I'm, I'm sure of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So humbling to, um, to head up the project, too. It was really humbling. A lot of the women um, even said that they got a lot of personal healing from revisiting um, the story and kind of dissecting um, what their emotions were, like we talked about earlier. And so to that end, there were a few stories that, that we didn't um, have the ability to fit in for a variety of reasons. So in the first quarter of 2023, um, I have a follow-up book coming out that would be infertility success, more stories of help and hope for your journey. Um, that'll be coming out in the first quarter. And then some of the ladies, um, like myself, experienced some PTSD after uh, going through infertility, um, which has to do with all the trauma, right? There's a lot of loss with the infertility journey. There's um, miscarriages, there's um, losses, you know, earlier losses and things like that. There's failed procedures. Um, and once you do get pregnant, then it's kind of like, uh, in society, there's a little magic wand waved over you, right? You're pregnant. You're all your dreams have come true. Everything's fine. And it doesn't wash away all this trauma that you've experienced. So we want to normalize, um, the full range of emotions that go with infertility and then motherhood. And there's a lot of PTSD fallout um, when you have a baby after, after going through infertility. So that'll be the book that's coming out in the second quarter. And I'm still accepting um, uh, subs not subscriptions, applications for that um, book as well. Well, I, I have to tell you, Erica, no one will ever accuse you of not being ambitious, right? <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, absolutely. And Erica, I'm curious to get your definition and how you, how you would define the term emotional courage. I'm fascinated to get your perspective there. Hmm. I don't know if I would call it emotional courage or resilience. Um, and I, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have an answer uh for you with that. I, I feel like some people are just wired to keep going in the face of every um, adversary, you know, every adversarial situation. Um, it reminds me of the quote that I, uh, a quote that I read yesterday, the same water that softens the potato, the same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg, right? So I think that it's, I think it's, a, I think it's how God made you, you know, I don't think that it's a flaw in people not to have emotional 
resilience. And I don't think that it's something that you can be taught necessarily. I think it's your, I think it's your makeup. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Erica, uh, you know, when you turn on the news uh, these days, reproductive rights is certainly a debate that we're having in society for women and equality in that sort of realm. So I'm wondering where you come down on the, the debate and how important do you think it is uh, to protect a woman's reproductive rights? Well, I think that um, medicine has given us a lot of tools that may or may not be in the best interest of everyone involved. Just because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean that we should. Um, and I, I think that um, I think that it's a hard it's a hard um, topic to talk about because it's so personal. So I would just say that um, I would just say that I'm an advocate for uh, things like uh, snowflake babies, so embryo adoption, um, and advocating in areas that I can support. So. Um, if you're not familiar with embryo adoption, after this infertility process, many times couples are left with frozen embryos uh, because they have had all the children that they want to complete their family. And now they have have somewhere between three and, you know, seven, 10, I don't know how many, <laughs> lots of embryos sometimes that they either have to pay for storage um, forever and keep them frozen, or there are women who now are adopting embryos. So they're not the genetic makeup of either parent. They're, it's literally like having an adoption, except you're able to surrogate basically for your own child. And so um, I would advocate for programs like that, um, that help women, you know, have the, the children of their dreams. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Erica, I'm also curious to ask you about any change, any change, any changes you want to see from uh, the health care system uh, perspective in order to make this uh, journey easier for women? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. I would love to see some standardization among the reproductive endocrinology community um, in other countries, in Europe, South Africa, places like that. There's a more... Um, uh, consistent, that's the word that I was looking for, there's a more consistent approach to the care that women receive. Um, and here, I, I've seen, especially over the last 10 years, a lot of women pushed towards um, advanced, what I would consider advanced reproductive um, procedures like IUI or IVF before X, Y, and Z has been done, right? So we're just hopping over that testing is being overlooked, some basic procedures are being overlooked. And it's just, um, you know, they're being pushed into um, expensive reproductive procedures that then in the end fail because we can't, we can't plant in bad soil, right? Um, we can't plant in soil that needs tending to. So these things have to happen. We might still end up in IVF or IUI, but we have to address these things first. And if we don't, it doesn't matter what you do over here. So I really feel like people are being taken advantage of in their most vulnerable state in this country um, because it's not like that in other countries. Um, so I'd like to see some standardization. Um, and this is why I preach advocacy so much as well. So 
Yeah, absolutely. And Erica, tell me the importance of having a support system around women as they go through this journey. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly, it's an incredibly private matter to the end that some people don't tell anybody. They don't tell their mother, they don't tell their sister, it's them and their spouse. They don't want to have any conversation. And so for those women that may or may not, uh, for those women or those men even that might be listening um, to this program, what I would say to you is find a support community. I have one on Facebook. Find um, find somebody, right, outside of your circle that you don't have to um answer to or that is in the same situation where you can have those conversations and you can decompress a little bit because it's so important to connect with people that are going through uh, the same kind of things that you're going through because people really don't understand. They can't, they can't process that grief and that monthly loss um, unless they've been through it themselves. They can't process what it means to have failed procedures um, be racking up all this debt, have the frustration of unanswered, you know, unexplained infertility um, without, you know, experiencing it themselves. So I would really strongly um, urge people to find some kind of support, even if it's outside of their family and friend group, um, especially if they want to maintain that privacy. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Erica, I want to end our conversation on a positive note. So, Tell me about your boys and how they've impacted your life and the legacy that you want to leave for them, both personally and professionally. Yeah. So um, there's nothing more important to me than that my boys um, grow up with faith. Um, I believe that that's the foundation of um, their their future happiness. And so... Um, you know, aside from everything else, that's the most important thing to me. Um, it's been a journey. Motherhood has been a journey, um, an unexpected journey. Let's just say that. Um, much different than I, I ever could have imagined and richer and sweeter in so many ways. Um, but they're, they're doing great. They're all healthy. Um, and, um, I've got, got a couple athletes. I've got, um, uh, an artist, um, you know, we're just having a good time over here, um, watching their personalities develop and, and, uh, doing the best that we can. <laughs> yeah. You must be one proud mother. I'm sure. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Erica, tell me if people want to get connected with you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah. You can find me on Instagram. Um, my handle is infertile mom of four, or my website is um, Erica Hoke. That's H O K E. Um, sometimes people hear hope, which is, I've thought about changing my last name, but it's ericahoke.com. And I've got some free resources on there. Like I mentioned, I have a Facebook group um, that's free that I provide resources and support. It's um, infertility empowered um, on Facebook. So you can reach me there. Fantastic. Well, Erica, I have to uh, thank you for uh, trusting me to share your uh, story of both inspiration, courage, and emotion. And I want to uh, thank you for the advocacy work that you do on behalf of women in their uh, b battle with 
infertility, and I want to thank you uh, for being here this morning. It's most appreciated. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me.